This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's podcast. At the core of a life of glory is unbroken fellowship and intimacy with God. So how do we nurture our lives to ensure that our fellowship with the Lord is unbroken and to increase our intimacy with Him? Well, Mark Ray believes there are two pillars that will guard our fellowship and our intimacy with Christ, and he'll share those with us today. Mark is the Vice President of Community Development here at Grace and has a substantial history with Grace School of Theology, including being an original Board of Trustee member and a primary advisor from earliest days. Mark holds a Master of Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary and a Master of Divinity from Grace School of Theology. He has served churches as an associate pastor and as a lead pastor, and he has served as COO of a major evangelistic ministry. Mark will soon be launching the Grace Center for Spiritual Development, and we'll tell you more about that in the weeks to come. But let's listen now as we hear Mark Ray's message, The Pillars of Worship and Prayer, in our series, A Life of Glory. There was a young woman who had just put her young son to bed, and she was standing in her living room, kind of straightening up, getting things fixed. And she heard this clunk, this thud coming from the back bedroom where she'd put her young son to bed. And she raced back, turned on the light, and saw him lying on the ground next to his bed. And she said, what happened? He said, I don't know. I guess I just stayed too close to where I got in. Think about it. Let it reside there for just a minute. We have been talking about the spiritual life for the last eight messages. We're in the ninth message of the spiritual life. And we're going to do something a little bit unique and a little bit different this morning. Let me do a quick review of the spiritual life. And then I want to talk to you about two foundational things that we want to experience today. We started eight weeks ago talking about glory, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do it in such a way that you manifest His character to the world. In order to do that, we have to conform to His character, which is holiness. We have to be holy, for He is holy. But because of sin that happened in the garden and subsequently our sin, holiness got shattered and God came with an answer. And His answer was grace. Grace that came through His Son, Jesus Christ. Grace that by His Death, burial, and resurrection has brought us back to being the holy creature that we were designed to be. He lavished us with 33 divine gifts of grace, blessed us unbelievably with his grace. And because we are blessed, we're then to live triumphantly, this triumphant overcoming life for the things that happen here in life and overcoming sin in our life. But many of us don't live all the time in triumph, and it's because Sin rears its ugly head. God has an answer for that. His answer for that was the death of Jesus Christ. We learned in Romans chapter 6, where Paul looks at us and says, Know who you are in Christ. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And present yourself as an instrument of righteousness to Him. 
No consider and present. And even though we do that sometimes, the flesh still rears its head as we learned in Romans chapter 7. And God has an answer for that. And his answer for that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who indwells us, who fills us, who, in whom we walk, and out of whom is developed the fruit of the Spirit. Those character traits of Christ that glorify him. We learned last week about the full extent of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And this week, the ninth week in the spiritual life, what we want to ask ourselves the question is, how do we nurture this spiritual life? In other words, how do we not stay right where we got in? How do we move beyond where we got in? We believe in Jesus Christ. That brings us salvation But we don't want to stay there. We want to move deeper into a relationship. We want to engage deeper with the God of the universe. We want to understand and have a a deeper involvement with Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit get more of us. Like the little boy, we don't want to stay where we got in. We want to move deeper into this relationship with God. And how do we do that? Well, God has an answer for that too. And two of the things that God gives us very specifically are worship and prayer, the two pillars on which rests our relationship with God. God and us build this foundation between us in a covenant relationship. This covenant relationship started all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Covenant relationship on what God wanted us to do and what he created us to do and what he created us and gave us the responsibility to do. In that covenant relationship, we saw that move and was restated with Noah Then he formed a new relationship with the nation of Israel through Abraham and ultimately through David. And then in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, he gives us this new covenant that Jesus Christ inaugurated with his death, with the shedding of his blood. That's a new covenant. A new covenant full of promises that God gives to us. The covenant promises that God promises to you and to me in relationship. And the two pillars on which that is built of how we engage in that, how we grow deeper in that covenant relationship are worship, which is us giving to God, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and prayer, which is God giving to us. And so we get this wonderful, wonderful relationship that gets nurtured through worship and prayer. And this morning, which is why I'm up here so early in the message... We want to experience worship and prayer together. Now, don't bolt for the doors, but we're going to experience worship. We're going to learn a a little bit about it, and then we're going to engage in it together. And we're going to learn a a little bit about prayer, and we're going to engage in that together. And I would ask you this morning to bring who you are, who God has created you to be. Bring that to this morning, and don't hold anything back. God's here. He's present. His Spirit is here. He's present. And I would ask you to be a part of being present in front of God Almighty. And bring that to your worship. Bring that to your prayer this morning. I want to talk about worship and prayer. First, we're going to talk about the first pillar, and that's the pillar of worship. And there are several foundational statements I want to make about worship. The first is this, and that is that worship is all about God. Worship is about God. It's about us giving to Him. It is... It is placing him at the place that he should be, at the head of everything, the all-sovereign God of the universe. And we've talked before about who God is in both his character and his nature. But worship is all about God, right? Thank you. 
Worship is all about God. Worship is about our giving to him. It is about, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute, it's about us giving ourselves to him, lifting him up, praising him, glorifying him, giving him us. Third, worship is both individual and corporate. Worship can be experienced individually, but it can also be experienced corporately. The beautiful thing about worship is we can do it just between you and me, just between me and God. But we can also experience worship in the body. We can experience worship here at Midland Bible Church together. We can experience worship with the believers around the world who are worshiping right now. And it's an amazing thing that God binds us all together in worship. A fourth thing about worship, it is what I call the controlling attitude of the spiritual life. Because everything we do, and we'll learn this in just a minute, but everything that we do is worship. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do it so that you manifest him. Do it so you lift him up. There was an old story told about Martin Luther. Love this story. A man asked him one day, what would you do if you knew tomorrow was your last day? And Martin Luther said, I'd plant a tree. The guy said, wait a minute, you'd plant a tree? Why would you plant a tree? He said, because that's what I was planning to do tomorrow. He said, what you fail to understand is whatever I do, I do it to the glory of God. So if I'm planting a tree, I plant a tree to the glory of God. If I, if I go call on a friend, I call on a friend. If I pray, if I study the word, whatever I do, I do it so I lift him up. I, I give him the praise and glory for all of it. It's that much a part of who I am and that much a part of my life. That's the Mark Ray paraphrase of what Martin Luther had to say, but you get the idea. The idea is no matter what we do, whether we're mowing the grass or we're visiting somebody in the hospital or we're teaching a Bible study, no matter what we do, we do it in such a way that worship becomes an attitude. It becomes a part of who we are and how we live. And finally, theologically, worship is to the Father in the authority of the Son by the power of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that moves us to worship, and we do this because of who Christ is in our life, the authority that he has. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, all authority has been given to me, so even in worship, the authority is to Christ, but that worship is to the Father. So the Trinity is involved in the entire process, worship. There are four main elements of worship. The first is this. A main element, the core at the base of worship is this. It's an understanding of the word remembrance. Worship has at its core the word remembrance. I want you to turn to Psalm 105, verses 1 through 5, because this, for me, the psalmist here gives us the basis for what remembrance is. And we're going to read this together in a worshipful atmosphere. We're going to read Psalm 105, verses 1 through 5 together. And as we do, I want you to hear remembrance. The covenant relationship and people asking God to remember this covenant relationship and us remembering that covenant relationship and being faithful to God. This is Psalm 105, verse 1. Let's read it together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Psalm 105, 1 through 5 gives us that 
indication of what remembrance is all about, that we're asking God to remember his covenant relationship with us. And we remember that covenant relationship with him and call upon him to be faithful to those promises. We see this in the Old Testament in the feasts that were provided, the feasts of Passover and Yom Kippur and the Feast of the, of the Booths where the nation of Israel remembered over and over and over again this covenant relationship that God had with them. In the New Testament, we see it in the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, the fulfilling of that new covenant relationship. We see it in water baptism as we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and identify with that. We see it in prayer as we call upon God in this covenant relationship. Remembrance, a key element. And so worship is a coming together to request God's remembrance of his promises and to remember his faithfulness to us. Isn't it wonderful to worship in the midst of learning what it's all about? There is a second element to worship, and it's called celebration. This one may need, mean we need to get a little bit more out of ourselves. Part of this celebration has at its core the idea of celebrating this covenant relationship we have with the God of the universe. This covenant relationship and the promises that he's lavished upon us by grace, through nothing we've earned and nothing we've done, but because of God's loving kindness upon us. What do we celebrate? We celebrate forgiveness of sins. We celebrate eternal life. We celebrate communion with the Lord. We celebrate an inheritance. We celebrate entrance into the kingdom. We celebrate heavenly citizenship. We celebrate every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We celebrate the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Point after point after point is this celebration, the idea of celebrating not only the covenant relationship, but the blessings that pour forth from that covenant relationship lavished upon us by the God of the universe. Celebration then is this. It is worship in the midst of this covenant relationship that we have with the Lord God Almighty and the opportunity to rejoice in that. Friends, we rejoice when our favorite football team scores a touchdown. What God has provided for us is so far beyond that, it's not even in the same ballpark. It's not even in the same worldly environment. And what he calls us to do in the midst of this is to lift up our celebration, to lift up our worship in celebrating him and what he has done. Because it's unbelievable what he's given us and how he's provided. And so he calls us in the midst of that to express that in celebration and worship. There's a third element to worship, and it's the idea of submission and service. Submission and service. This comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I want to read that one together as well. Can we put that one up there? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's read this together. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. This third element, and actually it's the third and the fourth, are the idea of submission and service. Submission 
comes from the Greek word proskuneo, that literally means to prostrate oneself, to bow down in worship to the one who is worthy to rule and the one who is worthy to be worshipped. The idea of submission, to submit yourself to the one who is worthy to be worshipped. The other word is the word to serve. We see this one throughout the New Testament as well, and it's the word liturgeo. It's where we get liturgy from. Liturgy literally translated to serve the one who is worthy to be worshipped. So we get submission and we get service. We get the idea behind this that what we are literally saying to God is, yes, I want to be about what you're about. I submit to you as the God of the universe and what you want for me. And I serve you as the God of the universe by saying yes to whatever you're doing here. I want to join it. I want to be part of it. That whole idea of saying yes to it reminds me of my dad. My dad was the kind of guy that whenever something went right or whenever he was proud of something you did, he would say this. He'd say, yes. What, what my dad was saying was, I'm proud of what's going on. I'm proud of what's happening with you, and I want to join you in this. What we see in submission and service is what we're saying to God is, yes, I want to join you in what's happening. I want to be a part of what's going on with you. I want to engage in what you're engaged in because you're a God who's good, and what you're offering is good things that I want to be a part of. So when we worship in this, in submission and service, we worship by coming together to say, yes, God, I want what you want. Yes, God, I want to be a part of what you're a part of. Yes, God, I want to be engaged in that. And I want to say, I will. I want to say yes to whatever you have for me. Our worship then is expressed in this as we look at submission and service in everything we do. So again, no matter what we do, we say yes because God's engaged in it. Because he's a personal, loving God who's engaged in all parts and pieces of how, how we do life. He's interested in it all. So everything I do, then I say yes to what God's doing in the midst of it, and it's worship. Because I'm engaged in it with God. He is the one who engages with us, both in the past and in the future. He's the one that calls us into the middle of this submission service for our good, both in the past and in the future. He is the God of the universe, of the past and of the future, that engages us in worship so that we can say yes. So there's a second pillar that we've talked about. We've talked about worship now, and that is us serving the Lord, giving to Him, giving Him our glory. But there's a second side of this, and that is prayer. All the New Testament scriptures are full of prayer. Prayer is the second pillar that works in conjunction with this, and it may surprise you a little bit, but the idea behind prayer, the central theme behind prayer is the idea of asking and God giving to us. But I want to talk about that very specifically because it's giving to us according to His will, which is good and perfect, exactly what it should be and exactly our best. So let's talk about prayer for just a minute. The same five fundamental statements that we made about worship hold true for prayer. First of all, prayer is all about God, right? Too many times I make prayer about me, but prayer is all about God. The second thing is that prayer is about God giving to me, where worship was me giving to God. Prayer is about God giving to me, and I wanna, I'm going to clarify that in just a minute. But prayer specifically is that thing that God has provided where I get a chance to come to Him which is an amazing thing in and of itself, isn't it? 
that the very throne room of the God of the universe is thrown wide open because of what Jesus Christ did and because of his spirit living in me who intercedes for me even when I have no idea what to say to him. My prayers communicate with him. And so prayer is that all about God. It is that us, God giving to us, it's both individual and corporate. Isn't that an amazing thing? That not only can prayer be individually between me and God, but prayer can also be corporately what we do together as a body, that we can lift our voices together in prayer as a body of believers. And God hears that. Prayer is what I call the active attitude of the spiritual life. Where worship was the controlling attitude, this is the active attitude because what we're asking God to do is to engage with us. We're asking, and I love how Vince Philoptis puts this, we're asking God to show up and do his God thing. We're asking him to come be God. And God loves nothing better than coming and being God. Theologically, prayer is to the Father in the authority of the Son by the power of the Spirit. Prayer is to the Father in the authority of the Son because the Son has authority over all and prayer is made possible by the power of the Spirit. The, the same elements that we talked about in worship, they're elements that are related to prayer. The first element related to prayer is the element of asking. And we see asking over and over again. In the Old Testament, we see asking in the petitions that are made, made out of the Psalms, the lament Psalms that come, the requests that are made of God, the needs that are brought forward for God. We see prayer and asking continually and overwhelmingly through the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see it show up specifically in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, a very familiar passage to all of us. We've repeated this over and over and over and over and over again. So let's repeat it one more time together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Together, let's read this. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let me talk to you just a moment about this particular one, because this is what Jesus was looking at people around him and the disciples in specific and said, when you pray, pray this way. But with the idea, the central core of asking, let me show you what Jesus is telling us to do with the Father. Starting off at the beginning... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. By the beginning of this prayer, what Jesus is telling us is that we are asking God to make his name great. That your name would be hallowed. Your name would be spoken of. Your name would be lifted up. And there's only one who can do that. The God of the universe is the only one who can lift his name above all else. And so the, the request here is that God would lift his name, make his name hallowed, and lift his name above all else. So we're asking God to show up and do his God thing. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking specifically for God to do on earth what he's done in heaven. Now that's kind of a cool thing, isn't it? Heaven's kind of that place we'd like to get to, right? Trust in Christ, you get eternal life, you get heaven, you get all of that with it. But what we're asking God is to make earth, to do on earth what he's done in heaven. What an amazing thing. 
that your will would be done here. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is really way off. No. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, right here, right now, and it's in me. What God did with bringing Jesus here is he began to bring heaven here in his son, Jesus Christ. And when we have eternal life, when we trust Christ, we have eternal life that begins way off. When does eternal life begin? The moment you trust Christ. And from that standpoint, it is God beginning to do on earth what he's done in heaven. And our request is that God would complete that work. That he would make earth heaven. Which he's promised he would ultimately do. I love these next three. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What we're requesting of God is to do things in our lives that we can't do ourselves. Now let me unfold that for you just a minute. Give us this day our daily bread. How many of you put the nutrients in the earth? I don't see any hands. How many of us brought the rains from heaven? How many of us created the seeds out of which grow the food that we've got? How many of us gave birth to the cattle and to the, the, the beasts of the field? How many of, us, how many of us have participated in that creative event? Give us this day our daily bread as us asking to be dependent upon God for everything. It is give us this day the ability to be dependent upon you every single moment of every single day because you are the only one worthy of being dependent upon. So give us this day our daily bread. Back in that culture, it was every single moment of every single day. It was an agrarian society, so you had to go grow what you had to eat. And we don't quite have it that way, but imagine if we did. And to this day, we have to go out and, and still work the earth. We still have to go work in this earth to be able to provide, and that's our dependence upon God for that job that we've got, for the brains that give us to do that, for the hands that can physically do the work, for the bodies that are healthy enough to do it. Give us this day our daily bread goes so far beyond in our request to make us dependent upon him because it's good to be dependent upon God. Amen? I'm here to tell you, if I'm dependent upon me, this world's in a bad place if I'm just dependent upon me. So give us this day our daily bread being dependent upon God. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Guess what? Without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can't forgive. Forgiveness is not in our vocabulary because the idea of forgiveness came from him. And so we can't forgive because we don't have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to forgive. So we're asking him to make us forgiving people because his Holy Spirit's at work in us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Hopefully over our last couple of weeks, we've talked about sin nature. We've talked about the flesh. We know without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we could not be dependent upon ourselves. We would be de dependent upon sin and dependent upon the flesh and dependent upon the evil one. Because that's where we were before. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It tells us exactly who we were dependent upon before Christ. And so we're asking for that spiritual protection. We're asking for God to wrap us up. And to not lead us down where if we were left to our own devices, we would head quicker than we could. Finally, he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our prayer is asking God.
to create in us, to make us, to be who he created us to be, that perfect, holy image bearer of Jesus Christ. And that happens in his kingdom with his power to his glory. So what we see out of this is this incredible idea of asking. Listen to how Chuck Swindoll puts this. And this will be a little convicting. Heaven is filled with a room that will surprise all of us when we see it. The room has within it large boxes neatly packaged with a lovely ribbon on top of each one with your name on it and my name on it. And this little saying, never delivered to earth because never requested from earth. All of the things, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that we never ever avail ourselves of And God's just waiting for our asking to deliver it. So prayer is asking God to do what he's promised, to manifest himself in human affairs, to act in conformity to all we know of him and for his purposes. The idea behind asking is asking God to engage with us and for us to engage with him. You have been listening to Mark Ray. Well, I have certainly been challenged today, and perhaps you have as well. Developing our prayer life and bringing continuing praise and worship to our Lord, individually as well as corporately, is indeed vital to living a life of glory. Grace offers many resources to help you on this journey, including books like Maximum Joy by Dr. Dave Anderson, or free seminars led by Dwight Edwards, and accredited online courses by a number of our distinguished professors. We also offer daily devotionals to help you in your walk. Do check them out. All are available at gsot.edu. Perhaps you have friends and family who need to hear about God's amazing grace. Sharing our podcast is a perfect way to start the conversation, and we have an archive of those products that you have missed so glad that you've tuned in today and remember the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash saving grace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.